1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I was going the biblical route. Tom kind of had the Abraham look going. I was... (laughs) Unfortunately, they, they made me look like the dad from Family Ties. I didn't like the hairline, I'll be honest. I, I would
2: have liked a little a little thicker head of hair, you know? I mean, I know I'm getting older and probably losing a little bit, but I would have liked a little more hair up top. I've never really been able to grow a beard, so maybe maybe that's what I've got
1: later on in my future. Maybe I'll, I'll get a, a nice, good, thick beard going. But um,
0: I thought it was hilarious.
1: <laughs> I don't know how to start. You know, they set me up. They set me up. Why? With Well, because Drew Bree's acting like he's losing a little bit of his hair. Come on, that that hairline has been retreating for the last 15 years. It's trying to escape. That's his future.
2: For early, that's I know. But but
1: don't no, but don't no that trust me. I, I've paid very close attention to the migration of the male hairline because I've had concerns over the years that mine might decide to go south. Some think uh, I have a toupee, I'm here to say for the record I do concerns.
2: not. Yes. What concern did you ever have? You lost one well, hair and you were well, like, Oh
1: well, no, well wait. No, no, no. See, I, I'm Italian, my hairline used to be like right here once upon a time. So it has it has moved a right little above bit above your eyebrows. But, but yeah, but not to the extent not to the extent that, that Drew's is heading. Uh, as far away from his eyebrows as it possibly can. So, uh, yeah, that that meme that that, uh, Tom Brady actually put that out there a few days ago. He looks like David Letterman, and Drew Brees looks like the dad from Family Ties. And I think it's awesome. And Drew's birthday is tomorrow, which means he'll be 42. Bredo B-43, combined age of 85. My Man. math skills are just impeccable this morning. And one of them is going home. And if it's Breeze, he may be going home for good. Right. So high stakes
2: poker on Sunday night, Chris. Do you do you think like this is – I mean, we know quarterbacks are going to continue to play, right, up up into the late 30s, early 40s, all of that. But, like, are these two going to be – you know, a once in every 30 or 40 year type of thing? Or do you think this will be the common trend? Do you think like seven, you know, seven years from now, eight years from now, ten years from now, we are going to be talking about, you know, it'll be more than that. Sorry, like Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen and they're both 42 years old. Do you think it's going to go that way with all these young stud quarterbacks? Like, what's your feel there?
1: Well, my feel is that it will for a variety of reasons. And let me say this first, because... When Matt Hasselbeck retired, he was just about 40 and may have been 40. And it caused me to research at the time quarterbacks who had performed at a high level beyond the age of 40. And the list was basically Brett Favre. He turned 40 during the 2009 season with the Vikings where, but for his crossbody throw in the NFC championship game that was intercepted by Tracy Porter, causing our friend Paul Allen to yell, this is not Detroit, this is the Super Bowl." But for that, He would have gone to the Super Bowl at the age of 40. There aren't many quarterbacks beyond him who have played past their 40th birthday at a high level in the NFL. I think it changes now for one very big reason. Two, number one, guys know how to take care of themselves now, and they put a lot more into it than they ever did before around the calendar focused on staying healthy and young and vibrant and active and, and able to compete with guys half their age. Number two. The rules are conducive to without it, without a doubt. The don't touch the quarterback rules help keep guys healthier, deeper into their into their lives, and allow them to play longer. It's that simple.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. That that's really It, it is that simple. And I'm with you. I just was curious. You know, did you think this would be like, oh, we'll never see this again? But I, I I agree. It's just the way players are staying in shape. You know, staying after themselves. Brady, of course, has brought great awareness to everybody too, which I think is going to you know help these guys as far as what they do to attack it. Um, but I would think it's going to be a consistent thing. It's just amazing how quickly it moved. You know, that's where I'm, that's where I'm amazed. My dad in 1993 was 38 years old. And I the whole year, you know, I was, I was 13 years old. So I remember the whole year, everybody was amazed with how good he was playing at 38. And he was the oldest quarterback ever to win a playoff game. At 38, which is crazy. And then you're right. Favre changed it. And now I feel like we're going to see 40s on a consistent basis as we go forward.
1: Peyton Manning was 39 when he finally called it quits. And he felt older than 39 because he He had been through more physically and he was kind of rickety. And it was a, a limp to the finish line for Peyton Manning in the 2015 season but there's no way he could have squeezed another year out of that body week, week one of that season. Yeah. Week one, somebody that I know was in the bowels of the stadium in Denver and saw Peyton Manning outside the locker room doing all sorts of funky stuff just to get loose to play week one. Right. It's like, man, this guy's a mess. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, with Brady, he's the trailblazer. And I, I don't think he's going to stop at 45, Chris. You know, he he has said the year that he turns 45, he turns 45 early August. That would be 2022. Right. That's his last year. According to everything that he's said about how long he wants to play. I'm not ready to say he's going to be done. I'm, I'm not. Not based upon how he's playing right now. Because he's managed to defy Father Time. Father Time remains undefeated. Yeah, but it could be that Tom Brady holds him off even longer than Tom Brady thought he could hold him off.
2: Well, uh, I mean, I will, I won't be shocked. but I, you know, we're definitely going to get next year, right? That's for sure. But, but as we know, and again, Brady's defying a lot of this. It, when it does fall, it's it's going to fall in a hurry. Where I feel like it'll be one of those things where we'll be like, man, Brady just got old, like right in front of our eyes. Like, what the hell happened? But as it looks right now. I mean, I'm with you, Mike. Uh, I mean, I, I swear, you know, he, he, I think he runs faster now than he did in 2011. And, and his throwing is every bit as powerful and, and accurate as it's ever been. So as long as he's willing to take the beating and feels like he can move just enough to get out of harm's way, I mean, yeah, he's definitely going to finish next year. There's no doubt about that. 45 and beyond, it's, it's certainly a, a good question right now. I remember thinking
1: very early in his career that he must have done a damn Yankees-style deal with the devil to be as good as he was 2001, two, three, and 4 after he was this frumpy-looking dude that came out of Michigan as the 199th pick in the draft. So, I mean, if he did a deal with the devil, he's getting the best of the bargain. He's letting him play all the way into his mid-40s. So, yeah, I think is. my deal with the devil theory is actually gaining momentum
2: the longer <laughs> this guy plays. It's, it's unreal. I, I mean again, I'm one that'll sit there and tell you i I don't think Brady's you know the greatest quarterback ever, but as far as consistent greatness, longevity, i I don't know that's not even a conversation anymore that's that's like that's out the window as far as just year after year of great years. you know that's where it's like we get into the the conversation about you know the the Gale sayers versus let's say the Frank Gores of the world with the hall of fame, you know, with the quarterback situation. Okay. I don't think Brady in his prime is as good as some of the other great quarterbacks of all time. Elway, you know, Aaron Rodgers, of course them, but how was Rodgers the second name? Well, I just throwing names out either way, but, right. but, but what I'm saying is you, you, I guess you, I have to start balancing how good he is for how long he is too, and take that into account, which, which means something. And it's really special what Brady's doing. There's no doubt about that.
1: Throwing the six Super Bowl wins and quite possibly a seventh at some point, although yeah. it's not going to be easy for Tom Brady and company. They got to get there first. And then when they get there, it's not like they're going to be playing a team that isn't equipped to win the Super Bowl. But you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. He's the next one to play past 40. I would he think said so. he wants to play past 40. And then you got Russell Wilson, who's 32, who has said he's going to play until he's 45. Recent events tell me that all of those seasons may not be with the Seattle Seahawks, maybe sooner rather than later. Sorry to get Seahawks fans riled up early on a Thursday morning, but it's 4.08 local, local time. Not many of them are listening right now. They'll listen to the re-air. They'll get upset when they watch NBCSN in <laughs> in a few hours, but I, I think this is where it's going. And you throw on the third factor. We talked about diet, nutrition, exercise that allows guys to play longer rules that are conducive to it third we're talking about an obscene amount of money relative to what other guys make well that franchise quarterbacks make an obscene amount of money and that rubber band is going to continue to be stretched that is the ultimate incentive to keep playing it gets back to your dad's advice to Brett Favre don't stop until they rip the uniform off of you know why would you when they're stuffing your pockets with cash to keep playing
2: no you're right about that. yeah I'm gonna keep playing yeah, you're, the teams don't show good quarterbacks the door anymore. You know that that used to go on. Now it's it's really like, oh, we don't want to upset the fan base, and he's, you know, it's been such a big part of our organization. And oh man, he still sells a lot of jerseys, so we're never gonna really cut the ties with him. That's where it's changed. Where back in you know eighties, nineties, you didn't see that when teams felt like quarterbacks were getting to the end, it was like, okay, sorry, see you, see you, move on, move on, time to go we're going to move that on. And now it it goes back again to the quarterback is on the same pedestal with what they're making for the most part as the owner. They've they've trumped the coach as far as power in the organization in a lot of places. And this is part of that conversation and why it's it's all working out this way.
1: Oh, oh, it's a point that I make all the time when we talk about how coaching pay hasn't grown at the same rate as player pay no. and salary cap. Right. A good coach is worth more than a good quarterback. Now, a great quarterback is worth more than a good coach. Sure. But, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago after Jared Goff broke his thumb and he's making $33.5 million a year. I'd rather pay Sean McVay $33.5 million a year than Jared Goff. And you got Bill Belichick, who's making north of $20 million a year. There are quarterbacks out there who aren't all that good who are making north of $20 million a year. Yeah, I'm not no going doubt. to name names, right. Derek Carr. but And Derek Carr is better. Than, I, I don't want to go all in on Derek Carr this morning. That was gratuitous and unnecessary, and I apologize, Derek Carr. Oh. But he's a guy who – and, and t- I'll tell you what, given where the market's gone, his $25 million per year or thereabouts isn't
2: It's pretty ridiculous good. now. Yeah.
1: It was a little ridiculous at the time to make him the highest-paid player in the history of football. That was a little ridiculous. Right now, it's in a good spot relative to others.
2: But still, I'd rather have Bill Belichick than Derek Carr, wouldn't you? No, definitely. I mean, yes, you'd really have – I'd rather have Bill Belichick almost over than anybody. I mean, it, it doesn't even matter. You know, it, it may be a handful of the young stud quarterbacks right now, but the rest of them I'd go, eh, I think I'll take Belichick. So, yes, he he's special that way. And we can't, you know, forget, we just talked about – you talked about Peyton Manning first week limping into it. Again, there's just too many examples of teams going to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl with rookie quarterbacks, rookie contracts, guys getting to the Final Four in the Super Bowl that are not that special, a.k.a. Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo. Hey, Peyton Manning was the worst quarterback in football when he won the Super Bowl. I, it's like people got to remember that. So uh, I, I, as we have talked a lot, I think the world is going to turn here. I think there are more and more people in the NFL – who have heard what we have said, and not that, that they've never thought about it before, but this is it, this is going to be a thing that's going to be talked about in organizations as they go forward. Wait, do we really want to pay this guy $35 million? Is he really that special? Or can we find somebody else to do the exact same thing? And yeah, it might piss off our fan base for like a few weeks, but we can get him for half the money. And I think that is going to happen here as we go, because there's just a lot of damn good, talented quarterbacks out there right now.
1: Since we have gone completely off the rails yeah. and haven't even begun to talk about what we were planning to talk about, and I Pete like Demolitus is probably pulling his beard out right now, which may be a good thing based upon what his beard looks like. <laughs> I digress. But, but here's here's where here's where Pete's saying, "What did I do?" Here's where the rubber meets the road on that analysis, and it doesn't just have to be a guy who's early in his career, and a team says, no, we're not going to give him that presumptive big contract. We're just going to find a new quarterback. In Seattle, where they are going back to 2012, right. and they are going to go run heavy in two years, that's when Mark Rogers, the agent for Russell Wilson, at the latest will be banging on the on the, the door for the next market-level contract for Russell Wilson. He's currently at $35 million a year. That was top of the market at the time. The top of the market now is $45 million. Who knows where it'll be in two years? But whatever it is, Rodgers is going to want that for Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks are going to say, why? We're not getting our money's worth. See, at some point, at some point, there's going to be irreconcilable differences between the Seahawks and Russell Wilson about his value and his role. Because if you're going to have a run-based offense— you don't need to be paying your quarterback 45 million a year. You're better off drafting a kid from Wisconsin in round 3 and hoping it works out. And I feel like at some point, and it's both sides, at some point I feel like Russell wants to see what he could do somewhere else and at some point the Seahawks want to see what they could do with someone else and save a hell of a lot of money in the process. So that's one big big area where this theory could could blossom and a lot of people would be like what's going on? Well, if you've been paying attention, to the business realities, you know what's going
2: on. Yeah, well, no, I mean, your, your, your points are real. I, I mean, I mean, I think they're borderline factual, really. I mean, the, the fact that we know Seattle was reluctant to want to pay him that type of contract anyways. We also know, and we discussed last offseason, they thought and flirted about moving on. You know, I we brought up, we had the conversation. There was a discussion with the Browns for the number one pick. Russell Wilson to the Browns. Everything I know, Seahawks were going to take Josh Allen. That's what they wanted to do. That was a plan. So their mind has been there, and you're right. We'll see where it goes. I mean, yeah, do you need to pay a a quarterback $35 million a year if it's all about the run and the defense? Probably not. No. But, you know, if it is still about the offense and run the game and then we want to be special play action and make special plays off that, well, we'll see where that goes. But, yeah, we don't know – what this new formula is going to look like in Seattle with uh, the new offensive coordinator, whoever that may be.
1: My brain is now fully activated without the benefit of caffeine regarding all of the possible alternate realities that would have occurred. If Russell Wilson had landed with the Browns, would Russell Wilson be playing Patrick Mahomes this weekend? (laughs) Josh Allen, if he was with the Seahawks, would they be hosting a game this weekend as a high seed in the NFC? Fascinating stuff to ponder. And it just shows you that, that, that relationship, it it seems to the outside that it's a lifetime deal. Recent developments underscore the reality that at some point they are going to reach a decision that that quite possibly will result in Russell Wilson playing elsewhere and the Seahawks going much much cheaper at the quarterback position. All right, let's get to the things that we were supposed let's to do talk it. about in this segment. Let's start with Robert Sala the. Jets candidate, second interview. We talked about this yesterday. Chris, you had heard that Sala is a serious candidate to become the coach of the Jets. The problem is he completed his second interview and he left. He's talking to the Eagles. And, you know, we, we, we know what happens, whether it's free agency or coaching. You get the deal done while the guy's in the building or the deal may not get done. Matt Rule didn't get out of Carolina to go to the Giants. Got the deal done. So I I I... I I just wonder what's going on here because if the Jets wanted him, they could have hired him during the second interview or the the interview could have culminated in the negotiations that resulted in the contract, but for whatever reason it didn't happen and now Sala continues his tour and the Jets continue to look elsewhere and maybe they still get together, but it
2: sure felt yesterday like it was moving in that direction, Yeah, now it doesn't. I'm I'm surprised. I, I thought that, you know, making the second trip out there, things that I had heard that, yeah, it would probably be, you know, all locked up and done and signed, de- signed, sealed, and delivered You know, by some point yesterday. But I, I don't know what is going on there. I, I have no inside info. I know the Jets got their eyes on some other guys, other candidates. You know, one name I've heard with the Jets is Arthur Smith, you know, the Tennessee offensive coordinator. I heard he's very high up in the conversations there. And then I've had people lead me to believe that there's a few, one or two other people who are kind of under the radar that, that they believe are got the eye of the Jets to a degree. I don't know who they are, but obviously there's great interest in Robert Sala. I just don't know. Is it the Jets going, wait, we didn't love that second interview and we want to interview more? Or are they going, wait, we would just like to complete the process. We have a few other people on our list that we haven't got to yet. We just like to do our due diligence before we start, you know, drawing up a contract with you. Uh, I don't know either way, but of course they're taking danger if they do like Sala and letting them out the building. And, you know, you never know what happens now. Or, or maybe, maybe they came to the conclusion that we advocated yesterday and I mentioned it on
1: Twitter and it got a bunch of Jets fans triggered the idea that if you hire Sala and he brings in an offensive coordinator who fixes Sam Darnold, he's going to lose that guy to be a head coach somewhere else. The Jets are so downtrodden as a fan base. They actually view that as a good development because it means... That Salah, at least for a brief period of time, with his offensive coordinator, Done would well. have fixed Sam Darnold, nice. even if the next guy doesn't. And yeah, uh, you know, we have seen what happens when one offensive coordinator leaves. There's no guarantee that the next guy is going to be as good, and you could have a regression. And there there is something to be said, Chris, for consistency. At the offensive coordinator position, year after year after year after year, I am never going to make excuses for Kirk Cousins. The guy making $33 million a year needs no excuses to be made for him. Sure. He needs to be troubled by nothing anyone says he's making $33 million a year. But at the same time, contrast, Sean Payton, head coach and essentially you know play caller, offensive designer, everything. Sorry, Pete Carmichael, but it's Sean Payton. With Drew Brees for all these years, uninterrupted, year after year after year, consistency, consistency, consistency. Kirk Cousins has been Minnesota in Minnesota three years and he's he's had three offensive coordinators. Yeah, because his head coach is a, is a defensive guru. That's my point. Yeah, and maybe the Jets didn't like maybe maybe Salah had a plan for a fallback and here's what we do and you know yeah our offensive coordinator is going to leave if things go well with Darnold and I don't know I, I hey I you know I. It's a real thing. Plenty of people have owned own teams that that aren't hardcore football people. And I don't think it takes much to look at the trends and say, I really don't want us to get on this cycle of having to hire a new offensive coordinator every other year. I'd much rather have to hire a defensive coordinator, especially because look at look at Sean Payton. I talk about this all the time. Dennis Allen should be in, in this mix. Why does he never get a sniff? I don't know. Because we think of the Saints and we think offense even
2: when their defense is great. No, you're right. Uh, that is. That's kind of the perception. There's no doubt about that. And I don't understand why Dennis Allen doesn't get a sniff either. But, uh, Mike, uh, as we talked about yesterday, this is a real fear. This is a real thing that I think is on all organizations' you know, radar right now about this little issue. You brought it up. I really think you're a big reason of making it known, even in the NFL, to go like, whoa, Wait. Hold on, this is a real thing. There's no doubt about it. I, maybe that is what happened. Maybe it is. You know, now, but but these defensive coaches, yeah, this is something they're going to have to deal with here and answer and really think about how they're going to attack this aspect of being a head coach. You know, you you look at even hey Mike Vrabel, he might lose Arthur Smith this year. Where does that go? It's it is. It's a real issue, especially with the league and the rules being so favored to the offense and the quarterbacks and things like that. Yeah, having a good offensive mind is a huge advantage for your football team right now. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what the right plan of attack is there for these defensive head coaches. I said yesterday, remember, I brought in the you, you need to bring one guy as the offensive coordinator and you need to tell that offensive coordinator, hey, who you got to bring your right-hand man and I get, I'll get, i give you the O.C. job, but I get first dibs on that guy when you leave to take your next job. You don't get to take him and bring him your O.C. I get to bring him. Something like that is what's going to have to be done in these contracts uh, for these defensive head coaches to kind of just calm GMs or the owners to go, okay, yeah, I might lose the O.C. after a year or two, but at least there's a guy after that to where I don't have to worry about losing him for a year or two after that. So you buy yourself four or five years in the process, and, and maybe that's the best way to go about it. The the
1: quarterback position will come into focus now in Denver, where George Payton, longtime Vikings executive, most yeah. recently assistant general manager, is the new GM. He had been with Minnesota since 2007. Um, <laughs> uh, look... I know Broncos fans are really happy about this development, but, but while we're on the topic of quarterbacks, Peyton was with the Vikings from 2007 through 2020, and other than Brett Favre falling into their laps, it hasn't exactly been a murderer's row at quarterback for the Vikings. And look, you never know, and this is a point Shereen Williams made last night on PFTPM, when you hire a GM, you never really know what the guy did. In his prior jobs, he was part of a broader structure. Maybe he was the weak link. I don't know. Who's he advocating on draft day? Is he advocating guys that they're picking and are great? Is he advocating guys who they're picking and aren't great? Is he advocating guys they didn't pick who ended up being great somewhere else? I don't know how much of that you can ever reconstruct after the fact, unless someone is there taking copious notes every step of the way. Sure. Oh, Let's see. Rick Spielman. Rick Spielman liked Kirk Cousins, and George Payton said we should go draft uh, 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 Baker Mayfield. uh, They wouldn't have gotten Mayfield, but you get my point. Yeah, I got you. But but I'm saying all this because quarterback is such a critical position for the Denver Broncos right now. Absolutely critical. They just moved on by giving uh, him a promotion, by all appearances, even though it's not, from a, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback who couldn't find a quarterback other than when Peyton Manning fell into his lap. And I know that everybody wanted him. And and look, having a a Hall of Fame quarterback GM made it easier to speak the same language and get Peyton Manning. But but here's my point. Minnesota Vikings, 2007 through the present, have had a hard time finding great quarterbacks. Before that, Peyton was the director of pro personnel with the Dolphins from 2001 through 2006 in the early years of the revolving door of crap post-Dan Marino. Now, he's director of pro personnel. Doesn't mean he's making the decisions, but he's in the trust tree of this this front office that's that's groping to find a decent quarterback. And then before that, he was with the Bears when they drafted Cade McDowell. Who? Exactly. So I, I just, all I'm saying about any of this, because I think George Payton's going to be great, but don't assume he's just going to walk through the door and have the answer at quarterback because the Vikings haven't had the answer at quarterback since the one year that Brett Favre was good with them.
2: Yeah, well, okay, I know. You've had some good there. I mean, Kirk Cousins is not a slouch. Let's not go crazy on that. He was the quarterback of your, like, top five offense in football this year and, you know, can make plays. I know he's not a superstar, but it's still a pretty damn good quarterback. Okay, now the rest of it, you're right. It's real. It's not that easy to evaluate these guys and get the right guy all the time. And I think you said it too. You know, he's not in charge of making those final decisions a lot of the time. So we don't know where they are, you know, where he was. Who knows? Maybe he liked some guys that we turned out to be stars. But like you said, somebody above him didn't like, see it that way and they went another direction. But it is a real conversation with the Denver Broncos. I don't think he has to worry about it per se, like this year, I do think Drew Locke did enough to earn the right to come back next year and see if he's the guy, but it's got to be on your radar to think, okay, Drew Drew Locke, we go through halfway through the year and we see, whoa, he's not the guy. It's too many interceptions. It's just too raw. Then, yeah, they're going to have to start looking at college kids and start going down that you know avenue once again to drafting a quarterback or – Finding their next Peyton Manning and having just another free agent proven guy come in there. You know, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be a big year. This will be it for Drew Locke. I think Drew Locke, of course, he he's going to have a chance to be the starter. But I would think that they bring in a pretty high-level backup this year for insurance for a Drew Locke. Vic Fangio, this is a huge year for him. He can't, like, have a team that's pretty damn good and have some young quarterback screwing it all up. And we saw Drew Locke do that a little bit last year. So I think he's going to want to have a guy there that's a little bit proven to where, he, all right, pull the string. We're going to play this way. You get in there. I could trust you and do that. But it's, it's a big conversation, no doubt, Mike.
1: And George Payton's had plenty of opportunities over the years. He's consistently rebuffed them. Why did he take this one? Because there's a sense that the Broncos are in a weird kind of a spot here. What's going to happen with ownership? Are they going to sell the team? The six-year deal that he signed gives him financial protection against the possibility of the team being sold and a new owner saying, we want a different GM. That's right. And also, this John Elway thing, he's in the last year of his contract. This, to me, and based on some things I've heard – yeah. He's he's done after this year okay. most likely. Right. So so if if it goes well yeah. for George Payton, he becomes John Elway next year. There you if go. they don't hire a new VP of football operations or president of football operations, That it's going to be George Payton running the football operations if it all goes well. And uh we'll we'll see. And I don't know what it means for it all to go well, but not having a losing record for the fifth straight year would would seem to be the most basic objective I think for so. a team that hadn't had back to back losing seasons for forty plus years before they they fell into a hole a few years ago. No, so, no doubt. Uh, they're
2: they're not far off. That's the one thing I'll say. I know it says five and eleven, but I, I don't know if you agree with this now, but let's not forget, no Cortland Sutton this year. I would say he he was probably the best player on their offense. They missed him. Von Miller, not there all year long either. You know, they had a few other injuries too that hurt their football team at full strength. I look at them and, you know, a few additions and the rookies getting a year older and all that. I go, the Broncos could be one of those teams next year. We're talking about going, didn't make the playoffs last year. This year, they're right in the thick of things and have a chance to make it. I I would not be surprised if we were there. Another team in the AFC West
1: that hopes to be in the thick of things, the Chargers. They reportedly have spoken to Urban Meyer and that, would come as a bit of a surprise to Jaguars fans who were thinking that they're just in the process of slowly landing the plane in Jacksonville. The Jaguars have essentially shut down their search. They interviewed Arthur Smith, the Titans offensive coordinator on Sunday night because they'd asked for permission to interview him a week before. Right. So you go through with it. It's a zoom call. Maybe you pick something up, you pick his brain, you know, you do it. It's a courtesy and, and Hey, maybe you need to have him on standby in the event. That, that it falls through with Urban Meyer. But, you know, this is the thing about flirting with a college coach who's left a couple of jobs and you kind of scratch your head and does he really want to come to the NFL? And, you know, you better be damn sure that this is what you want to do before you sign on the dotted line. And this process of getting yourself to the point where you're damn sure can take a while. And there's a certain point, Chris, where I would say
2: if you have to think about it that long. Exactly right, Mike. Maybe you just shouldn't do exactly it. Exactly right. I mean, if you got to think about it that long, you're exactly right. Then maybe you're not, because it's not a, it's not a dip your toe in the water type of job. It's just not that, you know, it is a job for a real psycho. And I mean that in a very nice way, a psycho who's like, whoa, it's 5am. I can't wait to get to the job and work and coach and do everything. And whoa, it's 11pm and I'm going to go home and go sleep so I can wake up at 5am and do it all over again. That's what you have to be. You have to be a machine. And let alone deal with all the scrutiny and crap you got to deal with with managing a football team. That's my big question with Urban Meyer. We've seen him get, you know, worn out at two previous stops. And really, he was the king of those spots, right? I mean, he was the king. All the power, God Urban Meyer, blah, 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 red carpet, whatever you want. So now he's going to go to Jacksonville where... You're know you not going to be the king. You'll be the king of that organization to a degree, but you're not the king of the overall college world and all that. I understand the Chargers flirting with Urban Meyer, Mike. I get it. Yeah, L.A., it's Urban Meyer. It's a big name. But I don't get it, really. You have a chance as the Chargers with a young team right now to get a quarterback and really have something with Justin Herbert where you can go, wait, we have a chance to have a quarterback head coach combo for the next 10 or 12 years. 15 years, who knows? With this kind of quarterback, it could be that type of marriage. That's not going to happen with Urban Meyer. And that, you know, then you're back at square one. So that's why I just don't like that combination when you kind of link some of those factors together.
1: I, I, I'm going to be far more basic about it. I think it's an Urban Meyer leverage play. Yeah, to I hear you. get more out of the Jaguars. Right. I, and that's the other thing. It may not be Urban Meyer sitting around wondering, what do I do? What do I do? Should I do it? Should I not do it? It may be that Urban Myers decided to do it, but because he doesn't have someone else knocking on the door, he needs another source of leverage to get to that 12. You know, it was so weird last week when I heard he's looking for 12, and I think 12 is reasonable. And then someone commissioned one of the reporters at NFL Media to say that that was not relevant and false. Well, tell us what he wants then if you're going to crap on the number that's out there. Don't just crap on the number that's out there. Tell us what he wants. And why would would anyone be retreating from wanting as much as possible other than to save face when they don't get it? That was the message. He ain't getting 12. Well, maybe he's still trying to get 12 or whatever he's trying to get. He wants 12. He's not going to get it, but he wants to get as close to it as he possibly can. That was my immediate reaction. When I saw that yesterday. And and, and this is the time of year, folks, to just have a little more of a critical eye because there are plenty of ambitious reporters out there who are trying to always have scoop, 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 scoop. It makes you susceptible to getting used by people who have an agenda who, for example, want to create leverage for Urban Meyer and want to scare the Jaguars by planning a story that may not even be true that he's talked to the Jaguars, Chris,
2: Yeah, the chargers. No, no. I mean, my, I mean, the first thing I thought of when I saw that was, you know, leverage play at that point, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't know. Urban Myers made a ton of money throughout his career. We know that, but I think it goes back again, even to like what you just posed as a question a few minutes ago, you know, if, if, if ten and a half million to twelve million is what it takes to put you over the edge, then maybe you don't need to do it. That, that's what I would say. I mean, that, that's where I'd go, man. That that one and a half million a year is what's really gonna do it. After you've already got ten and a half in your, you know, in your pocket, I, I just I don't know. I don't I, I don't get that either. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, Urban Meyer is certainly the the unicorn of this coaching candidates uh, that are out there, and. I would think it's Jacksonville or bust in my eyes. That's kind of how I look at it. And two other reasons to think that. One,
1: in Jacksonville, he's in charge. With the Chargers, he isn't going to be in charge. No way. He's got a GM there in Tom Telesco. Right. And uh, you're going to have to answer to other people with the Chargers. You can run the show like you did at Ohio State and Gainesville in Jacksonville. The other thing, too, is to the extent that he's worried about the bottom line, Florida, no state income tax. California? Lots of it. For his bracket, 13%. 13%. 13 cents of every dollar that you make if you live in California. And I'm, this isn't an anti-California thing. It's just 13 cents of every dollar that you make if you live in California and the highest bracket goes to the state. If you're choosing, you know, zero, 13, that's a factor. So, I look, it's it, it, the plane is still landing. The question is, will the wheels touch and will he put a pen on the paper and start making that U and finish it all the way through to the second R at the back end of Meyer we shall see let's take a break the Bears have decided to run it back and the fans want to still run some people out of Alice Hall we'll talk about the Bears decision why they made it and where things go from here when PFT live continues right after this
0: around any corner Ryan and Matt are men of character. They are both like Ted, outstanding leaders. I've been most impressed with how well they collaborate. I was impressed with both of them this past season, especially during the six game losing streak. The fact that our players never gave up is a tribute to the players have mistakes been made. Yes. But I think both Ryan and Matt are learning and growing in their roles.
1: Got a ton of respect for the Bears organization. I know George McCaskey. I like George McCaskey. I don't know why you have to read from a
2: statement. I'm I'm not a big fan of reading from statements. I hear that. I know. Just speak from the heart a little bit. You kind of know the details of the situation. I hear you there. I mean, that whole look, you know, again, not to, to bag on him personally, but I mean, I just... I would like that to all look more buttoned up. Why are we not sitting in front of a logo, the the bears and just more professional instead of looking like it's like, oh, I'm in the middle of the meeting. Okay, come on, film this real quick and let's get it done. I just, I just think that
1: it comes off as more authentic and genuine and real if you're not constrained to words that were written and rewritten and revised and are we okay with this script? Is this what we want to say? And you've got different people involved. I just want to hear what, and if I'm a fan of the Bears, I want to know what George McCaskey really thinks. And when I see him reading off of a sheet of paper, there's a good chance I'm not getting what he really thinks. And that that's, that, that's just I, – I just think it's always better to the extent that you've got an organic, authentic message to give. Yeah. You just deliver it. You just speak it. And you speak from the heart – And the folks in Chicago will recognize it, it will resonate, and they will appreciate it. And again, I don't want to be critical, but I think this is fairly important because you got to sell to the fan base why you're doing this. And I don't think reading from a sheet of paper is going to sell to that fan base why they're doing it. I could make a better sales pitch for why you're doing it. You've been to the playoffs two of the last three years. People are clamoring for GM Brian Pace to go. Folks, haven't you seen what happens when we fire the GM and keep the head coach? Then you have a GM that wants a different head coach, and you buy yourself multiple years of dysfunction. So we want to have a situation which we believe, based on past history and watching other organizations, is conducive to success. The coach and the GM tied together and we think these two men work well together and we want to give them more time to work together with the understanding that job number one is addressing the quarterback position that's all you got to say and I think it goes over a lot better in Chicago if that's what you say because I think that's the truth
2: agreed I'm with you it it, you know for for me it it is the truth you know I, I you know as we've talked about a few times over the last few weeks you know, th- this is something where you look at it and you go, wait, the Bears are closer to the top than the bottom. You don't tear that down. And, you know, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, there- there's a little bit of blame to go around to both of them. But there's also a lot of credit that has to go to both of them. I mean, one, you mentioned it, two out of three of the years, the playoffs. Hey, and-, and the year they didn't go to the playoffs, they were eight and eight. It wasn't like it was a disaster. Okay. They've had... They both have had their issue. There's no doubt. But when you look at the roster of the Bears in, in general, I, you can look at the defense and go, they don't need anything. So they're missing Eddie Goldman this year who opted out of COVID. He's maybe the best nose tackle in football in that conversation. They don't, they don't have one glaring need. Yeah, maybe the Robert Quinn contract was a little, you know, they paid him too much. Okay, wow. We don't fire somebody just because of that. Offensively. All right. You look at it there, has Ryan Pace failed the offense? I mean, maybe the offensive line. Okay, that has not been as good as well, you would like. Okay, I know the quarterback. The one, but the conversation. one big thing you can't get away from is taking Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes okay. and Kevin Watson. That's permanent. Okay. There's a lot of people that passed that up though and didn't see it. There there is. And either way, they got Trubisky now, so that's their bet is there. But good receivers, good tight ends. You know, running back, okay, especially when Tariq Cohen is there, Montgomery showed. So the offense, yeah, I, now you look at personnel, and I can really just sit there and go, offensive line's the only issue I have on the whole roster. And the offense struggled, yeah, because of the offensive line a little bit, but Matt Nagy deserves some of that credit for those struggles on the offensive side of the ball too. He's done a lot of great things. He was stubborn and wouldn't change his offensive approach, but you saw he did the last few weeks the last half of the year, and they changed as a football team. So, And they got hot again. So because of all that, I understand them staying the course there in Chicago. I think it's the right decision. Ted Phillips, the president and CEO of the team
1: since 1999, said yesterday, we have exactly the right culture that all football teams strive for. Sounds a lot like Bruce Allen's fateful, we have a damn good culture comment from Washington in 2019 or whenever that was when he he said that not long before. They got to have some sort
2: of them. good culture, though, Mike, to be able well, to and like, I withstand don't... the six-game losing streak and bounce back and do something there. There, there has to be something said about that. That was impressive. I, I, I agree with that because they did turn it
1: around, and I think Matt Nagy's got the right attitude. I talked right. to him after one of those wins, and 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 we specifically had a conversation about how he dealt with the low points, and you can tell he's got the mindset necessary to deal with adversity. And if you don't, you're not going to survive in that job. Yeah. You're done. You're gone. If you crumble under the weight of adversity, others are going to see it. If you're strong in the face of adversity, others are going to see it, and it's going to turn. And so Negi was strong in the face of adversity. Everyone kept doing their jobs, and it turned. But you know, I mentioned Phillips for one very important reason, because in my mind, it was a simple analysis you don't fire Pace unless you're firing Nagy, too, because you don't want to have this messed-up, dysfunctional front office where you hire a GM who's just biding his time until he can fire Nagy. Yeah. It's better to just get rid of everyone now. And if you're going to do that, it's time to get rid of Ted Phillips. It, t- 20, 21 years is long enough to be in the best job in football, which is I get paid a lot of money, I have a lot of power, and nobody ever fires me when we suck. Yeah. It's a great job if you can get it. No doubt. But there's a certain point where you run out of time because all these hires are on him. And if you if you are saying, well, well we, we screwed up again, at some point George McCaskey needs to find someone who's not going to be screwing up and making the wrong hires every three or four years. I mean, this is the team that brought us all due respect – wait a minute mark tressman yeah. i mean what 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 i'm still saying what seven years later my brain's trying to forget his name that was a disaster for the bears and it's just kind of forgotten because then you move on to the next disaster yeah. so no i hear uh, you mike they're 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 in the conversation of relevance and you know we'll hear teams say from time to time we want to win the Super Bowl. We, the Super Bowl. we know that's baloney. You, you, you can't. You can't measure success by winning or losing the Super Bowl because you're going to be pissed off pretty much all the time. Success is being relevant in weeks 14, 15, 16, 17. That's what success is. Making it to the playoffs or being in the playoff discussion up until the end of the season. That's why no one complained about two extra playoff teams. No one complained about that, right? Because it it gives everyone we're all
2: alive. A,
1: all we're, our all jobs alive are we're all alive until week seventeen. Our jobs. We exactly. all get
2: chance. I know. It but, is. But,
1: I mean, but but think about what goes on in the month of December, right? You you want people to show up for your games, even if they've bought the tickets. If no one's showing up, they're not paying. Way too much money for beer and popcorn and hot dogs, except in Atlanta and Detroit, I think. But everywhere else, it's way too much money for all that food. They're not paying to park. They're not buying stuff. The kids out there in the local town aren't saying... I want the jersey of Mitch Trubisky. They're saying, I want the jersey of a guy from the baseball team or the basketball team or the hockey team. These are all real considerations. You
2: want to be relevant in December. That's the measure of success. And this year, the Bears were. No, I mean, yes. And last year, they were. And the year before that, they were. So you're right. I mean, that's that's success. Uh, they have been relevant. They're on the cusp. I mean, I think one of the reasons Bears fans were probably pissed this year in a lot of ways is because they look at it and go, wait. We're kind of good. Wait, why, why can't we get over the hump in some of these games and win them? What is the deal? Now, you you made all the points. The, the big question is, you know, like what Ryan Pace said, we definitely need more out of the quarterback position. What does that mean? Where, where does that go? You know, that's the, that's the big thing that's going to really define Nagy and Pace. I mean, what, what are we going to do here? Is it going to be Trubisky? We sign him to a one- or two-year deal? and get him for a very you know, manageable price, which I would think they would. I mean, nobody's going to beat down doors to go like, we need Mitchell Trubisky as our starter on our team. So I would think they could get him at a favorable price, and he's comfortable there. But they got to figure that situation out, you know, because also within that, they got to figure out their offense is the next thing. What are we going to do on offense? We can't wait till week eight to figure out how we're going to play. you got to go into the season with the proper way to play this year. So that's got to be figured out, too. And if they decide, like, oh, we're going to keep Mitchell Trubisky and we're going to run this offense we ran at the end of the year, I would say, yeah, then you need to bring in another guy who also has information on how to run that type of offense all the time. Another idea guy in there, too, you know, because then if you do leave Trubisky and let's say get a Matt Stafford and now you want to go back to the Mahomes-Kansas City offense – Okay, that's cool, but I think you got to figure out your quarterback, and then you can start to figure out the personnel and how do you want to attack behind that quarterback going into the season.
1: I think that the Bears need to go into the offseason with all options are on the table. We're going to look at every potential quarterback we can get. We're going to leave no stone unturned, and we're going to find a guy that fits what it is that we're trying to do here and then go from there. But they have a great opportunity to upgrade but sometimes you have too many choices. They're going to have to pick somebody at some point and hope that it works out, or we got to take a break. When we return, a very truncated airing of grievances for this Thursday edition of PFT Live. We'll be back right after this.
2: You know, a bad loss, but um, Browns are going to get clapped next week, so it's all good. It's funny. It's really just funny, you know, because he's just really he's just he's salty, you know, with with the loss. You know, you can hear it in his voice. And you know, obviously, we're advancing off, so we don't really uh, dwell and put too much time about it. But it, it's funny to me. You know, obviously, we got the win, so we get the last laugh. It, 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 leave it at that.
1: Uh, Chase Claypool and Sion Taki going back and forth a little bit about the aftermath of the Browns defeating the Steelers. And look, the aftermath of... Super Wild Card Weekend, Chris, we talked about multiple concerns with officiating, multiple concerns with the proper activation and deployment of the replay review function, including the somehow failure to overturn the ruling on the field in Buffalo that that uh, Zach uh, Pascal the, hadn't fumbled the football. The ha- more than I the failure
2: don't... of overturning it, uh, the bailout Everything by Sean that McDermott to call the timeout that saved the NFL. If that doesn't happen, we're not only going, "Wait, that ball was a fumble and Buffalo recovered." We're going, "They didn't even review it." And it was like uh,
1: I mean, but 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 wait, what's worse, to not review it at all or to review it and get it completely wrong? Uh, that what's is worse. Boring. That is worse. I think it's I, I think <laughs> it's worse. I think McDermott McDermott exposed the dysfunction even more by throwing uh well he didn't throw a red challenge flag he called a timeout so they could wake up and realize we should probably take a look at this they looked at it and they didn't see the clear and obvious evidence that that Pascal's knees were off the ground before the ball was ripped out of his possession anyway have we got a discussion need,
2: look, or a statement about that yet
1: has there been any, like yeah I, the state you know this here's the statement there was no clear and obvious evidence to overturn the ruling on the field that's the statement that's all you ever get the statement from. NFL officiating, typically on Twitter, is one line. And, you know, there's no transparency anymore. There's no videos that are sent out every week explaining challenging calls, not like they did when Dean Blandino was there or Mike Pereira was there. Whoever has that job needs to be able to convince people as to why they've done what they did. That's the other side of this. And as Dean Blandino said, they don't value that position. They need to value that position, i.e., pay more money, and they need to have sky judges in every stadium to help the on field crew realize when they need to make a change before the replay function is even activated. Then you've got another buffer, another layer of protection to fix things before New York gets involved.
2: I mean, I agree with you. That's certainly gonna clean things up, maybe hopefully speed up the process. That was one of the frustrating things of this weekend. But I will say this like, and I'm not trying to like, you know, fight you here or anything, but uh, the the sky that's judge because you kicked my ass. Well, the, the sky judge though is he going to help out a situation like that the other day? Is it? I mean, yes. We still got it yes. wrong. He's i do going to say know. it was a fumble. Okay. No, I'd like to
1: think a sky judge. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It could be worse if you have an incompetent sky judge. I'm assuming that the sky judge will at least be sufficiently competent to see that that was a fumble and buzz down to the referee on the field. That's a fumble. It's Buffalo's ball, and then let the league office. Do the replay review function we're going to take a break we'll be back with more pft live right after this.
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well